Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. So, um, I don't know if you guys have are aware of this or not. There was an election on Tuesday. Do you guys know about this? Uh, it was on Tuesday, and it was for president. Um, I didn't even realize it was happening until Wednesday. I'm kidding. But um, it, was a, uh, it was a pretty contentious day. It's been, it's been pretty terrible um, in, the, in the days following. And, uh, and so it's really interesting. Uh, if you've been here a couple times, you've heard me say this more than I need to, but I really try not to speak on anything that um, he's not speaking to me on. And so we just went through this whole series on uh, going through the New Testament. We just read through the whole New Testament, spent nine weeks, maybe even ten, going through that. And we finished that up last week. And so, um, quite frankly, I'm sitting there, and I feel like I know what, what I'm supposed to talk about, kind of. And, um, and so I was heading that direction. Um, this was Monday. And so I asked the Lord to give, you know, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What do you, what do you want me to do? And this is Monday morning. And, uh, and so he gave me a chapter uh, in, in, this, in the Old Testament. And I was like, all right, cool, let's go there. And so I went there, and, and there was some, something in there that was good, and it was applicable. And um, I just started, um, you know, going that direction. And, and to be honest with you, the more the week progressed, the more I felt like, I just, I feel like I need to talk about this. I feel like I need to, to say something about what's happened and what's happening. And, um, and so on Friday, I had Friday off. I'm a banker, and so we love veterans. And uh, we love veterans because they serve our country, but they also give us a holiday. Uh, and they give us a really great holiday because kids are still in school. And so uh, they closed the banks. So I had Friday off, and I was pretty bothered by everything that was going on. And I took a walk and um, like two and a half hours, and um, just spent time with the Lord. And I said, you know, I felt like I was really sure that you spoke to me. You gave me this chapter. You gave me this verse. And, um, and I don't want to move away from that. But at the same time, I feel like, um, I feel like it, there's something that we need to talk about. And so he actually directed my attention to the first part of the verse. And I was focusing on the last part of the chapter. And he was saying, you know, I didn't tell you where to focus. And so uh, I went back and focused on on the first part of the chapter, and, uh, and that's where we're going to camp today. And so if you have a Bible, there's Bibles on your seat. Those are just gifts if you don't have them. Those are only the New Testament, so they're not going to apply today. Um, but you can still keep them if you don't have one. Um, so let's see. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 3. And so if you want to find it, we're going to have some of it up on the screen, kind of. Um, it'd be great if, if we could bring Bibles because I do this, and I'm not good at it. So it's just good for you. I already have it up here, but it'd be great for you. So I think, I think the Holy Spirit wants to say something to us today. I think he wants to talk to us, and I think this is kind of a, a family talk. So uh, this will be fun. So Second, Second Kings chapter 3. Uh, Joram, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused 
which he had caused Israel to commit, he did not turn away from them. So let's pause. Don't go to the next slide, Morgan. So we got to catch up a bit before we go on. So we got to talk a little bit about the names, uh, about Israel and about Judah, and just a quick history lesson. So at one point in time, so we're reading out Second Kings. At one point in time, Israel was ruled by judges and, uh, and prophets, and they were people. And they were God's chosen people. And this was after they had, they had wandered in the desert. They're going into the promised land. And if you remember Joshua and Judges, is kind of about that. Uh, that book of, of Judges is about the rule of the judges in Israel. And so the people of Israel began to look around and said, you know, it seems like everyone else has kings. We would like a king. And God says, you know, I promise you don't want this. And they have this conversation and... He says, okay, fine. And so he gives him a king. And so that king, as we know, is, uh, is King Saul. And so Saul is raised up and, uh, and does you know, a pretty decent job. He's kind of weak and, um, sorry, he's kind of weak and does, uh, doesn't do so hot. And, uh, and so um, God sees this and he raises up David. You guys remember David, the David and Goliath, that David. So David does a pretty good job. God really enjoys him. He's after his own heart. Uh, but he's, you know, sometimes he's good, sometimes he's bad. So he has this affair with this, with this lady and, uh, and killed her husband, just minor things. And from that uh, affair, he, he has a son, and his son is, uh, is Solomon. And so Solomon is brought up um, from, from King, and he takes over, okay? So Solomon does really good for a little while, and he's super wise, and, um, and he's, you know, he's doing an okay job. But like his father, he likes the ladies. And so Solomon gets um, just lots of wives, I mean, a lot. And he collects them like we collect, you know, the chipotle cups that, that sit in our car forever. So he, that's just how he is with wives. He's just getting all kinds of wives. And, um, and so from all of those wives, he starts incorporating you know, their gods and their worship and what they're doing. And, and God doesn't really like that. But God made a promise to David and said, you know what? Solomon's going to rule all the days of his life. And he does. And so after he dies, his son is really bad. And so his son um, causes everyone uh, a lot of hardship. And eventually everyone revolts. And the Lord raises up someone else, Jeroboam, who we just read about, right? Uh, to, to kind of lead this rebellion, but he doesn't do it well. And, and the Lord separates the, two tr- the tribe into two. He, lives, he leaves uh, Judah and Benjamin in the south, and then he, he takes the rest of the ten tribes, because there's twelve, right? rest of the ten tribes um, up to the land of Samaria. And so it's interesting. So he talks about that. Um, let's see, it said that Joram did the, uh, the, the sins of Jeroboam. So we got we to know what that means, right? So Jeroboam is, is moved out of Judah. Judah was where the temple was, where the priests were, and all that sort of stuff. So he moves up to Samaria, and he's worried. He's worried because everyone's going to go back into Judah and worship. And, and he's worried that eventually they're going to say, look, this is a lot of trouble. Let's just become one again. And we're just going to go back under the king in Judah, and we'll just be one. And so what he does is he decides to make uh, Judaism light. And so he, he creates his own gods, his own customs that sort of mirror um, what people are doing uh, in, in, uh, in Judah. And so it's just this whole big thing. He creates these calves and these gods. And so what he does is because he's so worried that, um, that the people are going to go back, that he creates his own religion, essentially. And so we look here and it says that 
that um, Joram does the same thing as Jeroboam. And so he doesn't, he doesn't do away with that. So you have these two kings here, and, and, uh, and they're very divided. Hundreds and hundreds. I just skipped through you know, hundreds of years of history in, until we get to this story. All the way back in 1 Kings is where you find about all that sort of stuff. So um, let's keep reading. Now, Mesher king of Moab raised sheep, and he had to pay the king of Israel a tribute of 100,000 lambs uh, and the wool of 100,000 rams. At, but after Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So at that time, King Joram sent out from Samaria and mobilized all Israel. He also sent this message to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? I will go with you, he replied. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. And he says, by what route shall we attack? Through the desert of Edom, he answered. So the king of Israel sent out with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no more water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab? But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Elisha said to the king of Israel, why do you want to involve me? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. No, the king of Israel answered, because it was the Lord who called us three kings together to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Elisha said, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, if I did not have to respect for the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not pay attention to you. So we have this story of, of two kings of kings that, that were ruling over the same people group. They were ruling over God's people group. And they had been ruling uh, over them separately for a long time. And, and their beliefs were different. Um, you know, what they, what they went for, the things that they held dear, were very different from one another. But the two kings actually knew something that we need to know. The two kings knew who their enemy was. And their enemy wasn't each other. And so when the enemy came, as he always does, they decided that they were going to band together. That, that they were going to, to go. And, and what he says, he says, you know, my men are your men. We're the same. That's incredible. They're not. They're drastically different from one another. But the two kings had enough sense about them to know who their enemy was and who their enemy wasn't. And I think that's something that we have to talk about today. Things are so crazy. We've lost the ability to agree to disagree. We've lost the ability to have a conversation. We've lost the ability to empathize. And it's never been more apparent, which is good, actually. This kind of stuff brings things out. It brings things into the light, and we're, we're, we're caused to look at it because we can't rush it to the side anymore. And so here we are, was it three days, four days after the election, and America is still really, really divided. And it makes sense. But, but where it doesn't make sense is how divided we are within the church. 
And so the deal is, isn't the people out there, the world, they're divided, and that makes sense. I would be too. But see, we're family. And whether you're, you're a part of the blue tribe or a part of the red tribe, we're family. And we can't expect to see reconciliation. We can't expect to see people come together if we can't start here. If we can't start where we are right now, within these walls, we can't do it. See, one of the things that, that we talk about here is that I really believe, like 100% believe, that we are called to change the world. We are called, Nashville Vineyard is called to change the world, the whole world. Everyone in it at some point will be affected by what we do right here. I believe that with everything in my bones. And maybe, maybe we could do that by loving each other. First. Maybe we could, maybe we could say, look, we, we agree to disagree. There's certain things that we hold dear, but we agree to disagree. Because we love each other. See, the problem is, is that we have, we have elevated feelings. For decades now, feelings have become the, the chief end of who we are. And feelings are wonderful servants. They're terrible masters. And we're being controlled by our feelings. It's what we feel. You know what this election shows? Is that everyone feels maligned. Everyone feels oppressed. And the, and the problem is, is that we've elevated feelings to an ultimate reality, and now the ultimate reality for everyone is that they really are oppressed, regardless of if they are. And both sides, both sides are operating out of this feeling of being oppressed. They legitimately feel that way. Now, depending upon which side you're on, you're thinking, how could those people on the other side feel so oppressed? What, what are they talking about? It's amazing. It's also amazing that I forgot to silence my phone. There we go. But it, it's incredible that, that we're sitting here and everyone is so divided. Everyone is so, so contentious. And, and everyone feels like they lost. Even if you won, it seems like a loss. And isn't it just like God... To, to, to lead us through something to expose what's in our hearts. I don't think anyone just loved either candidate. And so on the, on the one hand, we're all losers. Congratulations. See if you hear that on church on a Sunday. You're losers. But we've lost. And there is a deep divide, and it's true. But we're called first here as a family to be able to show what it could be like to a world that can no longer understand what it's like to feel the other way. If we could begin to model a group of people from verse, diverse backgrounds coming together in this point of contention and saying, I, don't, I love you. I love you even still. I don't even want to change your mind. I just love you. 
Because it's no longer our blood that flows through us, it's his blood. And we're supposed to be his body. And so he, he wants for us to actually be one. But we're so far from that. And we have this thing called social media, and social media makes us feel like we should make comments on the world. We genuinely believe the world needs to hear what I have to say about this. And so we send it out. And then we get in these like crazy debates and fights, and, and, and it's just bizarre how sucked in we get to this. And it's all on our phones. And, and it's the first time in the history of the world that someone living in, in Iran and someone living in, in Kentucky can gang up on someone that lives in California at the same time over something. Who knows? And it's just created this, this incredibly caustic culture. It's, a, it's, it's, it's eliminated our ability to empathize because we don't see the face. We don't hear the voice. But it's real. I mean, that space is real. And, and again, how do I know what I'm talking about? I had to do a lot of repenting. Because it's, it's so easy to get sucked into that. It's just so easy to get sucked into that. And so Paul actually tells us, in Ephesians, that he gives us his secret that, that our, our battle, our struggle, isn't with each other. Who, who we're getting upset with and what's causing us to, to, to be upset isn't with each other. It's not against flesh and blood, right? But against the rulers and authorities and principalities, the principalities of the air. Remember last week when we talked about the, the demoniac the Gerasene demoniac, and, and Jesus went to him and he said, what's your name? And he said, I'm Legion. There are many. And after he encountered Jesus and, and the Legion left him, he was in his right mind. And it wasn't until he was in his right mind that everyone got afraid. Because him being in his right mind and sitting at the feet of Jesus and being calm, juxtaposed to what people are usually like and what they're expecting us to be like, was so... So other than, it, 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 it caused people to be afraid. That's how we should be. In the face of adversity, in the face of, of everything that we're facing in the world, the, the world should look at us and get freaked out a bit because we love each other. We love each other despite absolutely knowing the other's shortcomings or what we perceive those to be. That's the call of the church. It's not really to go out and get everyone saved. That's Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Our job is to love each other. It really is. And it won't be until we start doing that that we can actually have any sort of effect or impact out there. So the world is actually looking at us and thinking they can't even get past this. How can they tell us how we're supposed to get past this? And right now within the church, there are staunch divisions between whatever progressive and whatever conservative may mean as far as Christians go. 
And we've, we've come to a point, we, myself included, where we will say, how can someone love Jesus and vote X and Y? That's crazy. That's crazy. But I said it. I know you said it. And what if we just agreed to, to not assume the absolute worst of someone who has a different opinion of us? Right? I mean, what if we, what if we really didn't believe the person on the left was everything that's, that's demonized by the person on the right? And what if we really believed that the person on the right wasn't what is being demonized about them as well? What if we said, I can't seem to understand it, but I'd love to. It's called empathy. It's called love. It's called respect. But it has to start here. Like here, in this room. I mean, the, what I want to do is tweet about it. I want to blog about it. I want the world to know where I stand. But that's wrong. I want you to know. And, and it has to start here before it can ever get anywhere out there. At the Nashville Vineyard, here on a Sunday, we have to come together and say, what are you going to do? We still love you. We still expect, respect you, accept you. We have to do that. So Paul tells us who our enemy is and then who he is not. And then there's this, there's this verse in Revelation 12.10 that calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. They could call him a lot of different things. But the author of Revelation was interpreting what the angels were telling him, and they went with the accuser of the brethren. Let's just, let's just stay there for a while. When we think about the enemy, and we know there's an enemy, right? He's the accuser of the brethren, not the world, the brethren. And his whole idea is to get us to turn inward and begin to eat our own. And begin to try and kill each other. And to accuse one another of being out. We love telling people they're out. I would say we love telling people they're out much more than we love telling people they're in. It's just, it feels good. It feels good when you're vindicated. It feels good when you're right. And everyone believes they're right. And so when we begin to do that, we actually begin to align ourselves with the accuser of the brethren. And we step out from, from the, the kingship of Jesus, and we begin to submit to the authority of the enemy and become used by him. And then we begin to grieve the Holy Spirit, which causes us to be impotent. We can't do anything. We can't affect anything. We can't affect society. We can't affect anyone in the room. You know, Jesus says that if, you have, if, you, if you're at the altar and you're, you're giving your offerings and you have something against a brother, don't, don't, don't bother. Just go fix it. It's that big a deal. He doesn't even want to hear you say, I love you, until you say it to someone you're looking at here. It doesn't matter to him. He's much more concerned that we love each other. He's cool. He doesn't need us to love him. And so if we're here and if we're singing songs or if we're really believing that we love Jesus and we're hating our brothers, you don't. And he doesn't want it. So don't bother. 
It's that big a deal. And so when we align ourselves with the accuser of the brethren, we, we grieve the Holy Spirit and we lose all authority that we have gained. We lose, we lose our influence that we have. Because he doesn't necessarily want us running around as representatives. If those are the kind of representatives we're going to be. Does that make sense? So one time, I was looking at Facebook too much. And this wasn't recent. So don't try to like who it was. But I was looking at Facebook and I was, there was someone that I went to church with that was just ridiculous on Facebook, just being nuts. And in the name of Jesus. And I got just super mad about it. And uh, I mean, I wrote things and then I deleted them and I wrote things again and then I deleted them. And then I was just saying, what am I going to say? Man, it's going to be good. You know, I mean, it was going to be really good. And this person... I mean, it wouldn't have taken much to destroy this person because they were just a person. I wasn't like I was going against some famous pastor. This was someone in the church who was pretty pitiful, really. But I was so angry with them, I wanted to destroy them with my words. And I believe that I am the smartest person in the room of any room that I'm in. And I don't care if that's true or not because I believe it so much. So I believed that I could, I could just tear them apart. And so here I am, I'm literally fantasizing about what I'm going to say. And this is Vineyard, so I can say this kind of thing. I had a vision. I had a vision of Jesus. And he wasn't sweet and cuddly, he looked mean. And he raised his hand and he pointed at me and he said, Be careful how you talk about my bride. And I got pretty freaked out. But I noticed his eyes were a bit over my shoulder. And I don't know how visions work, but I could just tell. And then I turned around, and it was the enemy, and he was whispering all of the anger and hatred I had that I was coming up with as my own ideas. It was his ideas. And I was just grabbing a hold of him. I loved him. I loved him. And it's a picture of what happens to us. The accuser of the brethren is actually roaming about to and fro, seeking who he may devour, right? And part of the way he's going to do that is to begin feeding you hatred of your brother or sister. And it feels so good to begin to pull on that thread. And when you pull on that thread, it begins to come inside of you. And hate wells up. And you have to go through this whole thing of getting all that out. It can create strongholds in your life. It can create places in your heart that could take years to get over. Because it feels so good to pull on that thread. So, there is a, uh, there's another story that's pretty interesting. There is a, um, this is in Luke 10. There's this Pharisee, and he, he's a Jew, like a really good Jew. And he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And he says, you know, you know the law, all that sort of stuff. And so he says, you know, what, just tell me what. And he said, will you tell me what are the greatest? He said, you know, love your Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says, great, you got it. And he says, and it says in the Bible, it says, he said this in order to justify himself, which is what we really love to do is to justify ourselves. In order to justify himself, he said, but who is my brother? 
So Jesus goes on to tell this story in response called the Good Samaritan. And you know the story, uh, you know, all of these righteous uh, Jews were, were walking by this guy that was, you know, beat up. And then comes the Samaritan and he, he goes, bends over backwards and really does a great job. And the guy's like, oh, man. So the deal is, is that who is our neighbor? Our neighbor in this picture are the kings on the other side in Samaria. They were the same people. They were the same group. He didn't use a Roman. He didn't use someone in Greece or whatever was going on. He used a Samaritan. And they were called half-Jews. They didn't quite get it. They didn't even worship necessarily the same way, the same thing. And who, how, who's your neighbor? It's them. You see what I'm doing here? The king, I keep forgetting his name, Joam or whatever, came from Samaria down to Judah. And the king in Judah said, your people are my people. He knew who the enemy was. It wasn't the Samaritan. And so you have the people of Judah, you have the Israelites keeping the law. They're doing all the right things. And they're villainizing the Samaritans who are doing all the wrong things legitimately. And Jesus says, you want to know who your neighbor is? It's them. It's the person who is voting so other than your beliefs that you can't even imagine them and how they're saying that they follow Jesus. It's them. That's the neighbor. And that's who we're called to love more than anyone or our own. And we have to have that posture. We just have to. So in... um, I think it's in Matthew. I forgot to copy and paste the, uh, the book. You can Google it. So it, Jesus says uh, that my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus' prayer, like his capstone prayer, was that we would just be one. That we would, we would be together regardless of our differences. And we'd be one. I mean, that's it. He doesn't pray that we would go save the world. He doesn't pray that we would just feed every hungry person. He said, just would you make them one? And that's who he's coming back for. Is he's, he's coming back for his bride. His spotless bride. And what muddies up the bride is sin, but more than sin, it's division. We have this bride that's so scattered and schizophrenic, and she's pathetic. 
And I promise he's not going to come back for that one. He's probably going to wait until they actually become one. And you notice that the world isn't going to necessarily see how great Jesus is until he until we become one. And so all of this stuff we do is really for naught if we can't love each other. And I can't fix the church in Nashville. I can't fix uh, this church. I have to fix my heart. And I can't do anything until I begin to fix my heart. And we have to fix our hearts. We have to repent. We have to really try. We have to try to put ourselves in the Samaritan's shoes. None of us believes we're Samaritans, but someone believes that we're the Samaritan. And that's what we have to do. Paul called us one body, many parts. And a lot of times we think about that as maybe giftings. Maybe it is. But however I view the world, whatever my background is, my upbringing is, my, my socioeconomic level in life, is probably how I'm going to go at the world and go about the work of Jesus. And so the, the world needs to see the church be the church from every level. And some of us can be the church, and we're called to be the church through, through protecting and standing up for immigrants on a personal one-on-one level. And some of, the, some of us, because of our background and, and maybe influence or whatever, are called to stand up for immigrants globally and work on policies and things of that nature. See what I'm saying? Like, we're all called to this. We're called to this differently. And we're going to come about it different ways. And what we have to do is begin to trust that you have the Holy Spirit too. Last Sunday, I really wanted to tell you how to vote. And it wasn't, I didn't do it because I would lose whatever. We're going to make money. So it's not like I'm worried about losing some tax-exempt thing. I, I, I didn't tell you because I want to trust that the Holy Spirit lives in you too. And that's what we said. We said, just ask the Spirit. And when you come out of the voting booth, you'll be really confident. And so we have to begin to trust that our brothers and sisters are A, our brothers and sisters. Stop, stop defining who they can and can't be. And then we have to trust that they have the Holy Spirit. And whatever they believe in their acting, maybe some of it's wrong, maybe some of it's right. Not my deal. You accomplish your mission the way you're supposed to accomplish it. And at some point in your journey, maybe you come across the aisle. Maybe I go across this aisle. Who knows? Secondary, tertiary, not even on the radar of what we need to start doing. And then we just need to love them. I promise you, until we start to do that here in this room, in our small groups, in our relationships, even on Facebook, until we start doing that here, man, nothing we're ever going to do is going to work. It's not going to work. We want to see God and see his glory. And Jesus says that the only way to do that is if we're one. Does that make sense? Cool. So in Revelation, um, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And you know how they overcome? 
the accuser of the brethren. Mike, you can start to come up. The way they overcome the accuser of the brethren is through the blood of Jesus, the Lamb, and the words of their testimony. So we're going to do that. We just had a little bit of a testimony. And we're going to take the blood and the body. And we're going to have communion. We're going to take it together. Okay? And, and, and as we're taking this communion together, so, so the deal is you come up and you go back down and then we'll do it. So to, but as we do this, realize what's happening. Realize that the blood that flows through your veins is no longer yours. The blood that flows through your veins is no longer red. It's no longer blue. It's Jesus' blood. He's above all that. The body that we're partaking is Jesus' body. And we're his. And he doesn't want a schizophrenic body. He wants a body that loves him. And that loves each other. So we're going to dedicate the rest of our lives, the rest of the existence of this church, to doing just that. And if we can get that down, we'll try something else. But we're just going to try that. At least for a couple years. I mean, Christians can be so mean. In the name of Jesus. And I promise you, Jesus doesn't need us to stand up for him. He doesn't need our help defending him. So relax, that's off your plate. He doesn't need help defending his gospel. He can do that. He needs us to love each other. So can we do that? Let's stand. Holy Spirit, you are so good and we need you. We need you, we need you, we need you. We need to hear your voice louder than the voice of the accuser. We need to quiet our hearts and our souls and just be with you. Lord, we repent. We repent for being so angry, for spewing such hatred and division out of our own mouths and out of our own hearts. We've murdered people in our minds over and over and over again. We're sorry. We're just sorry. Would you help us to love just our neighbors? Just our brothers and sisters who look, believe, act, think differently than we do. Would you bind us together? Would you bring us into unity? Lord, we want to see your glory. We're desperate for it. So would you help us love each other? So if you want to, and I highly recommend you do, why don't you come up here and grab the elements? We've got some gluten-free crackers in the middle there. And you can grab the elements, and then uh, let's take them back to our seat, and then we'll take this all together. So you can just come on up. For all upcoming events, for more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. 
Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.